0: All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. We're coming back to a text of Scripture we've been studying for a couple of weeks now, a passage of Scripture that's dealing with lawsuits, a text of Scripture that is dealing with lawsuits. And some of you might be saying, well, I know I've been in court, I've done different situations in court, but I really don't foresee a lawsuit in my future, and I think that's really absolutely great. You know, but you might be saying, well, what is this going to have to do with me? Well, really, it's gonna be fascinating, especially as we expand into verses nine to 11, because that's where we are. We've already worked through verses one through six. We're coming to verses nine to 11 on this text. And it's a challenge to me, because I wanna do with these verses what is often done in our own personal lives. I've really gotta tell you, I struggled with these verses, because nine to 11 are a text of scripture that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and especially if you've been witnessing or you're challenging believers, you often use these never in the context of lawsuits. This is one of these passages that gets quoted not wrongly, but not in its context. You understand? Let me just read. The Apostle Paul says in verse 9, do you, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, adulterers, or, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor, right, nor, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. And so... I've used this text. I'm challenging somebody. I'm trying to get them to understand that when you're a believer, your behavior should be changed, and so you use this. But what does this have to do with lawsuits? If if this is a passage that we often use for a whole, a different purpose than a lawsuit, why does God put it here? Well, let's understand lawsuits. And so get the lights. i got a slideshow, and I'm trying to work this through myself and struggling with it. Um, I've been showing you lawsuits. I can not come up with a really cool name so I have more info on lawsuits. <laughs> All right? We've w- we realize that, and we go through this passage and we deal with this, that God doesn't want these lawsuits. I think it's very important if we're going to grasp what God is doing in verses 9 and 11. He doesn't want us to be involved in frivolous lawsuits, especially, and we've been using this picture over the past few weeks of um, Homer Simpson, cartoon character, um, I will not file frivolous lawsuits I don't know even what episode this came from but okay or if it was one of the intros but uh, frivolous lawsuits lawsuits are, are 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 to be when something is seriously happening with somebody and where you've got a real hurt and, and we're going to talk about legitimate reasons why people have lawsuits and I can imagine even with the Corinthians that they were having frivolous lawsuits. And a frivolous lawsuit is where harm really hasn't significantly taken place. And I went on a website and it was like the top 20 frivolous lawsuits that have ever occurred. And I thought I'd bring a few of them to you. This one, um, often, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't, (laughs) I, I see these commercials. Foster's Australian for beer. Okay. Well, this beer guzzler, he sued Foster's, convincing him their beer was Australian, and he sued him for tens of thousands of dollars, and considered it a frivolous lawsuit because he found out that the beer is made in. Does anybody know Texas? It's all in Texas. They just use that name and they use that line. Australian for beer it has nothing to do with Australia at all. Even I think the substance of it. It just it's made in Texas, and so okay, you might not laugh, and this might not be one of the better jokes, but this is, this is, this this one, second one, this man sued Michael Jordan, I think it was $200 million, because he looked like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's on all these Nike ads, and basketball, and everywhere this guy went, people were saying, oh, you're Michael Jordan, and he finally got sick of it, and he sued Michael Jordan for like anywhere from $200 million to $400 million because he felt that Michael Jordan owes him for all the inconvenience he put him through. All right, and I understand this. You know, um, you know, those of you who know, I always like to, I, I, I like to keep this before my wife. I, you know, several, when I was in California and I was in seminary, uh, I was at John MacArthur's church and I was going up the stairs and you might have forgotten this, but this woman come running up to me and said, oh, wow, you look just like Tom Cruise. Are you Tom Cruise? And she was serious and she wasn't joking. Okay. And I don't care if anybody else thinks that as long as Becky remembers that. Okay. So I understand when people are coming at you, it's a little bit of an inconvenience and it could bother you, but I wouldn't sue Tom Cruise. I'm just letting you know, this suit got dismissed when the man Nike countersued, t- threatened to countersue him um, for several hundred million dollars, and so he backed down, okay? This one, uh, this is a little more hilarious, I think. A man sued Anheuser-Busch for showing hot women being attracted to normal guys. You know that beer commercials will show people having fun, they're happy, and you know you have a beer, and all of a sudden, girls like you. Well, this guy was realizing that girls weren't falling in love with him. And so he sued Anheuser-Busch for $10,000 because of the emotional harm that it caused him. And he wanted $250 per day that, that um, they continued to run the ads, okay? And so, obviously, that was frivolous. It wasn't legitimate. Um, in our passage, there are going to be reasons there are going to be serious reasons for lawsuits. Here are the top five reasons people bring a lawsuit. Again, went on a website. this is what they found. I thought it through. Thought, these sounds good. There could be other reasons. Number one, to enforce a contract. Somebody has a contract. I signed, "Hey, I'm going to deliver a product," and then they don't deliver. So you say, "Listen. I've given you maybe earnest money, I've paid a down payment, or I've made plans based upon this contract, and they don't come through. So you you enforce the contract. And, you know, when we start talking about these lawsuits in this passage, the, the question that we struggle with is that sometimes there are people who go into contracts knowing full well they're not going to fulfill it. Yeah, I'll sell you... Um, I'll sell you a brand new home and I'll build you a new home, but they never plan to come through. They never plan to build it. They're just going to get your money, maybe get your deposit, and they're going to abscond. They're going to run. Or there could be people who are genuinely serious and they're going to say, I'm going to build your home. And then all of a sudden something happens and they're unable to do it. Maybe their employees all quit. Maybe they get sick. They can't do it. All of those reasons can come in and there's an analysis. Like Sometimes you have to look and say, one, the guy was an out-and-out cheap but the other there was there were reasonable reasons why he couldn't do it and maybe you don't sue for all kinds of damages maybe just realize hey I give grace in this situation and I'm going to allow the person to say okay at least return the earnest money but then the person comes back and says well I I, I I've already spent it we say, well, then you should at least work out a payment plan right if I'm going to be you know so I want you to understand as we're going through these lawsuits it began to become so mind-blowing for me, like all the reasons why people could bring a lawsuit, all the different scenarios. Second type of scenario is just to like recover damages. All right? The idea is, and going down the, um, you're going down the road, you're, you're, you're not paying attention, you're on your cell phone, and you drive right into off the road, and you come into my house, and you smash my house. Well, you know, the damages that you incurred, you know, it could have been a legitimate reason why, you know, you you drove off the road, or could have been a wrong reason why you drove off the road, but you did damage to me, and I think it's a legitimate reason, okay? The the frivolous lawsuits, hey, you, you made me drink beer that really wasn't from Australia. I mean, what's... You know, I might sue you to stop advertising that, but the reality, it really wasn't damaged. So, but some of you could say, I've been in suits where there's been damage. Third is to protect your property. You know, I've got, a, I've got a yard, and my neighbor decides that he wants to put up a fence, and he wants his fence to go in my property. Well, I can sue him to stop that, all right? You know, uh, but a frivolous lawsuit... I, you know, my, neighbor, my neighbor's putting up a, a, a fence, and I don't even want him to have a fence. I've always liked the fact that um, um, I, I like my view. I know, like, in New York City, this was always a big thing, uh, maybe in Chicago, too. You know, you buy some property along the lakefront. And then you think, wow, this is great. I've paid all this money for this property. And all of a sudden somebody builds another building in front of your building and you can't see the lake anymore. So people will make lawsuits and how that all plays out um, to protect property. Number four, to dissolve a partnership. And and the the website had a marriage because a marriage is a partnership. But you can see you know, people, two people get together, and maybe you say, we're gonna go to business together, and we sign some documents, and all of a sudden you realize the partner you go with is lazy, and they're not gonna work, and they're not gonna be faithful, and they're gonna be people who believe that they should get more money, and you're saying, well, this isn't fair. We're not working for the same goal. So you wanna dissolve it, but they don't wanna dissolve it. They wanna enforce it. So you can see that that would be a legitimate reason to bring a lawsuit. And then number five is to replace a fiduciary. Fiduciary is a big responsibility, big word. You maybe not always think about it, but you know, let's say you've got an elderly parent and they've signed over to child number one to be the fiduciary, to be the trustee for the estate. And that child all of a sudden says, Hey, I'm in charge of mom and dad's money now. And they start buying themselves new clothes, new cars, and blah, blah, blah. And so the other brothers and sisters say, wait, we gotta stop this. He's not being faithful in his fiduciary responsibility, okay? And so when, I don't know how well you guys can see, in our text, when you get down to verse eight, and he says, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, you do this even to your brethren. I think there were some senses where, yes, these people were challenged to let go of some of the issues. But at this point, the Apostle Paul is challenging them to not be people who also cause these reasons. And I think, I think understanding verse 8 is really, really critical. That we as Christians ought to be people that don't cause Bad contracts, damages, property problems, marriage and partnership problems and fiduciary problems. I think that's been, to me, as I struggled with this text, that's where the interesting twist went. Because he has said in verse 7, actually then, it's already defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not be wrong? Rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? I think there is a genuine sense where sometimes I have to look at a situation and there's a situa- couple of situations where, okay, you know, you've done something to me. You know, we, you were going to build me a house, but you didn't come through with it. And, okay, legitimately, all your workers quit. But now give me my, my money, my deposit money, okay? So then I'm not going to maybe necessarily sue you for a million dollars for the emotional distress you put me through. I, I think some sense there is that why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But there also could be a sense where you have to look at it and say, look, you know, I gave you $5,000 down. You had this horrible situation. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to realize that you can't pay me back. I'm going to, I'm going to incur the penalty. That's Christian The Christian. I can't enforce anyone here to actually take those steps. Okay, um I think this whole text is on the sense that if somebody should owe you $5,000 you always have recourse to come back to the church elders and we should be able to go to that person and say, Look, you owe them $5,000. You know, they gave you $5,000 to build them a house. You didn't come through with it. You should work at it. And you shouldn't just say to yourself, look, um, I'm going to declare bankruptcy and I'm not going to pay at all. Okay. Um, you should work to make sure that they're good. And that, that's what we should do as, as, as Christians. Um, we should try to be as faithful to the people that are involved in us in business as possible. So that's where everyone here is going to have to work some of this out on their own. That's why I think there's a lot of generality in this text. But it's in verse 8 that all of a sudden you get this twist, and I think this is where I've come to the conclusion to say, verse 8 is saying, but be people who don't cause lawsuits. And that's why verse nine makes so much sense. And, it's, it, it, and, it's, and, and so um, why we would ever allow ourselves to, to though lose and be defrauded, though in this big, big picture, is because of these reasons, because we win in the end, because we're going to heaven, because we are people that know this world is passing away. And and that's something that's always in the back of our minds, okay, that we're, we're the people who win. We're the people who are not fighting over the gold of this world. And the, the joke that I said last week, and alluded to, is the fact that the world is fighting over gold, and we know we're going to heaven, and that's just paving material, people. And we're going to have streets of gold up in heaven we win in the end we're going to heaven we know the world is passing away and we are changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is part and parcel about why this text here that we're going to study 9 to 11 comes in because he says he says when he gets down to verse 11 such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified we're changed people And we shouldn't be people who are causing the lawsuits and we are also, in a secondary sense, people who have a big vision of where we're going. When we look at the fact that as we live in a world that is constantly bumping against one another, we have to realize we're not like the rest of the world. And God is expecting us to demonstrate it, okay? And I came across this illustration this week and I thought it would be really good to show, okay, the illustration of the new homeowner. This home was owned by a man, and then he sells it, and the next person comes, and these are the exact same homes, okay? That Here you got the befores and the afters, the befores and the afters, and you can see in each one of these, you had something that was run down before, and then you got afterwards. It looks really, really, really nice. So, wh- why, What is this illustration that I came across? It was just this, and it was that... Before, you know, if you were to ask, who is the old homeowner? Who's the old homeowner? The answer is you, okay? Because there's a sense where we have these vessels, we have these bodies, and we're the one that was in control. We're the ones that were running things. And really, from God's view, it was all run down. But when we come to the new homeowner and the imagery of the beautiful home the renovated home who's the new homeowner the answer is Christ Christ in you and so the thought is is that he does a transformation in us and the type of people we are now are different and we are not the people who are going to be taking advantage of people so The point of 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11 is that believers are not to act like unbelievers because in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they've been washed, sanctified, justified. And these are the fill in the blanks when we turn the lights on, especially in regards to sinful practices. You are not to be deceived about this in any way. We are not to be people who are causing lawsuits. So let's get into the details, especially at 9 to 11. Get me the lights and let me let's let's look at this you've got your sermon notes in front of you remember the apostle paul has been challenging these people regarding judging in chapter five and then all of a sudden he jumps into verses one and two and he says does any of you when he has a case against his neighbor dare to go to lawsuits before the unrighteous and not before the saints and so the very first point was are you really using the world's legal system because the expectation is that believers are not to use the world's expecta- law system. They are to, if they have a case against somebody, they are to come to the elders, they are to come to the church to have this situation worked out. Maybe even come to other believers and have it worked out. But so the apostle Paul says in verses two and three: do you realize your future role as judges, okay, over the world and over angels, which is an incredible reality. When we really grasp who we are, you've got to understand the prince and the pauper imagery. We are we are people that right now we may not even reign over the supreme court but we have a greater ruling function than over the the entire united states supreme court because he says in verse two do you not know that the saints will judge the world if the world is judged by you are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts do you not know that we will judge angels how much more matters of this life my goodness this is how important that we recognize the position of the church So then the next point was in verses 4 to 6 when he says you're not you're even going to the wrong judges of jurisdiction these judges don't have any reign over you the supreme court doesn't really have the ultimate rule over you because the one the judges of the church are the ones that are the higher court. <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to sound anti government or anything along those lines, but the idea here is that you gotta remember who are we really serving? So verses four to six. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are no account in the church? I mean that's pretty explicit. So he says, I, verse 5, I say this to your shame. That is shame, you're, you should be embarrassed that you're going to these law courts that are of the earth, not of God. So I say this to your shame. It is so, verse 5, is, is there not one man, among, one wise man among you who will be able to decide between his brethren? There should be. There better be. Uh, and that's why we talked about the qualifications of an elder, the qualifications of a pastor, qualifications of deacons. They better rise up to that occasion but verse 6 but ver, but brother goes to the law with brother and that before the unbelievers and that's an embarrassment and that's shame shameful and it's in that context then that we begin the next point the fourth point that we started studying last week where he says are you acting like unbelievers that won't lose in the world? And this was so critical that we looked at the very fact that God does call us to lose. So sometimes say, hey, we've been wrong. We've been hurt. And we're, we're not going to make a mountain out of a molehill. We're not going to push things. We're going to let our rights go. And so he goes, actually, then it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits for one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And the point that I put up there is because the big picture is that we win in the end. We don't always have to win. We don't always have to ha- be recouped. We don't always have to have uh, everything restored to us in this earth. And that's hard. And especially, you know, like ever, there are going to be situations where maybe somebody really sticks it to you. And I don't know how that's going to be played out. And you bring it to the church and the church even says, boy, you better pay. And the person says, look, I don't even have the resources to pay. Well, maybe things could be worked out and maybe the church should come in and help at that point. I think every one of these have to be worked out with some wisdom and some discernment. And that's where the wise men come in because he's just telling us the broad principles. But it's out of verse seven when he says though on the contrary you yourselves wrong and defraud you do this even to your brethren i think he he's jumping to the point where he says listen the reality is, is some of you guys are doing bad things to one another and this ought not to be and that's the point and if you fill in it's, its point to be there in regards to sinful practices this is not the way we're to act And this is why verses 9 to 11 gets pulled out and used, because Christians are not to act like this, whether it be in a lawsuit or in any type of life practice. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous, people who act in sinful ways, who take advantage of people, defraud people, they are discerned as the unrighteous. If you look back up Back up in verse 1, when he says, do, I, does any of you, when he has a case against his, his neighbor, dare to go to law before? Who? The unrighteous. It was a description for the unbeliever and the people who practice things that don't meet God's standards. And so when he says in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It, this is, remember, one of, I think, 10 do you not know statements. The idea is, is that these are the people who aren't going to win. And we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is what saves us. But when we are born again, we are different people. And so we should not be taking advantage of people. And the, the list that's going to come is evidence of the fact that, that people that are unbelievers take advantage of people and they don't care what God says and they do their own thing. And this is like the warning sign. We'll get to that in a second. But look what he says. I want to catch before we move on. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit heaven? No, he doesn't say heaven. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, I even have copies in my notes. You know, we're in a spiritual kingdom, and we've already got part of it. (sighs) We're in a spiritual relationship with God, absolutely. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not in a spiritual kingdom. <laughs> I, I mean, God has always ruled and reigned. And I, I've, I think you have to understand, and I'm sorry, there are some people that are really strong believers, pastors, teachers today. They'll talk about, you'll hear it all the time. We're getting people into the kingdom, and they're talking as if the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is not here. I, and I want you to understand, the kingdom was a specific realm when God was going to do things on earth and 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 eventually we know he's going to bring heaven to earth all right but we've got to realize uh, the two passages that I always want people to remember the passage that we often use hey unless a person's born again he won't go to where John look at John chapter three okay just so it's always before you because people will always talk. Even tracks will have. You want to get to heaven? You must be born again. Well, wait a second. Then let's go to John three three. No, John three five. No, because John three three. When Jesus is meeting Nicodemus, he says in John three three, J- Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is oh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see heaven. No, the kingdom of God. All right." And then in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and that's a spiritual cleansing which ties back to the book of ezekiel i think it's chapter 37 and that's why jesus when he chides nicodemus says do you not know these things because it was rooted in the old testament so much of understanding the new testament is rooted in the old testament and when jesus says in verse five truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and a spirit it was the spiritual cleansing that was promised to ezekiel that would come with the new birth but he so a little side note truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and spirit he cannot enter into heaven no the kingdom of god and the kingdom was a specific realm that was promised to the jews when all the blessings that god had told them would come to fruition which we now understand will go into the thousand year reign and will go into eternity and this kingdom this is the kingdom that we we can proclaim because i i think i'm going to be there i think you're going to be there and just, I said, there's two passages. Go back to Acts chapter one. And I'm on my, my, uh, my um, desire to continue to repeat things because I'm realizing I can tell you guys and tell you, and I know the benefit of being a teacher is that it's always in the, my forefront. I want you to always remember Acts chapter one, when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he's done many appearances but now he's about to leave but his disciples don't want to want to um have him leave and so at this point in verse 6 acts chapter 1 so when they come together they're asking him lord is it at this time you're going to restore what the kingdom to Israel and Jesus as I've used this illustration before doesn't come back and say you fools you idiots we're done with Israel <laughs> there is no kingdom Don't you realize the Spirit's coming and you're going to have a spiritual kingdom? He doesn't say that. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both Jerusalem, Judea, and and Samaria, and even the most remote parts of the world. So the idea here is that the kingdom is coming. You've got a job to do, and you do it until... And, and you know until it's all set up the spirit's going to come and he's going to enable you to do it we get pentecost in acts chapter two and we go on so by i want you to understand if go back to first corinthians and if you understand all the descriptions like in the book of isaiah in chapter 65 and 66 what is the realm of the kingdom going to be, be marked by? It's going to be marked by righteousness. You're going to no longer have to fear anything where anyone takes advantage of you, let alone the lion lying down with the lamb, a cobra being playing with your children, because nothing bad is ever going to happen where people are going to take advantage of people. Look at the list that comes in verse 9. He says, do you not be deceived. Don't like, don't lie to yourself, don't let other people lie to you, okay? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an all encompassing list, but this is a main list of sins that are out there, and people that are regularly practicing them are not the people that have been changed. And the people who are changed would never cause lawsuits. They would never defraud and wrong their brethren because changed people act differently. Hence, this is where it gets so critical in our day and age. You have a person that never acts as if they're changed. Then you come back and you say, wait a second, then you must never have been born again. And people say, how dare you tell me this? How dare you tell me that, you know, you know i'm not going to heaven but it's because your life hasn't changed not only you are someone that is defrauding and and perhaps taking advantage of people in commercial real estate all other kinds of dealings you're somebody that lives a life that is one of these traits now all of us can struggle with sin how much sin we can struggle with you better be not that you're described that way you need to understand look at this list fornicators People who have sex before they're married. That's clear. Now, I have known some really strong believers that have had sex before marriage, okay? As professing believers, okay? I've challenged them, they've repented, we go on. It's never a big deal in the sense of, of okay, we're bringing it to church and church discipline. But I've known people that have lived for five, six, eight, ten years, and they said they're believers. Listen, and you challenge them, and they don't care. Then... Please, you've got to understand out of love and care and understanding, fornicators are not people who go to heaven. You say, Well, I won't still go to heaven. No, you're not. And 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 if we love people, we're gonna tell them. And you look at this list, idolaters, idolaters, people who love things over God. I don't care, I'm gonna love gold. I don't care, I'm gonna love my sports team. I don't care, I don't serve God. Um, when it comes to Sundays or this sport or that sport, my money, my job, whatever, whatever somebody puts above god that 's interesting because it 's pretty that 's pretty challenging. you know I put my marriage, I put my kids, I put my family, I put this that those are in essence my idols, okay, let alone all my neighbors who have statues all over the yards because they 've got their idols, okay you can have physical idols, and you can have idols that you can put before your heart and so he says idolaters god's gonna know what you idolize okay do you not know that neither fornicators nor idolaters adulterers people who have sex and break their marriage vows and they have sexual relations with other people are there christians that mess up absolutely they repent but there are people who have eyes filled with adultery scripture warns false teachers that do and they're constantly acting on them those are people you got to understand, God is saying, that it's, he's showing you that they are not believers. He goes on to say, effeminate people, it's more, especially men that act like women, transgender. He's um, not even getting to homosexuals, homosexuality is coming here next. And, and men are to be men. Yesterday I did this conference, I did a full day's conference on what it is to be a man of God. And when it was all said and done, the men said, wow, you got to do this again. And I'm thinking I'm going to do it for our congregation. But the idea is that, yes, men are supposed to be different. And fathers, you need to raise your children not to be men. I mean, not to, not to, be, not to be wimpy men is what I was looking at. You need to, un, they need to understand, being effeminate is wrong. It is not just a, a, a lifestyle choice. It is wrong. It is a sin before God and the man that continues to do that and says it's just the way I am needs to understand we're all born with sin. We all have desires that are sinful. Some of us are born with the desire to lie. Some of us are born with a desire to be you know sexually aggressive. Some of us are desire, desire to be people that idolize something. Everyone has some bent from birth because we're born in the sin and the person that is told is telling us that they're effeminate from birth we've got to teach them that they that that those desires are lies and you've got to understand that's a sin being effeminate is a sin so much so that God's put it in this list then we get homosexuals people who have sex same-sex relationships and I don't care what the world is saying today People are not born with their DNA saying that they're homosexuals. It is a choice. And yes, they may have been born with th- that sin from the beginning and they don't remember any other choice. But it is indicative of the fact that they are sinners from birth and that need, they need redemption. And we have a whole case of people who have gotten saved and would be proof of that. And I know that people can struggle with it. You can become a believer, and to the day you die, you will struggle with your homosexuality. That's It's no different than, for me, if I have an, an affinity towards alcohol or drugs, I might struggle with it. I'll be redeemed. I, never, I won't practice it, but I'll have that temptation. And so just because a person struggles with their homosexuality doesn't mean that they're not saved, but they're not to practice it. And God is saying here, people who continue to say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to practice my homosexuality. I'm going to practice my being effeminate. I'm going to practice being an adulterer. I'm going to practice these things. God is saying, fine. People who do this, it's indicative of the fact that you've not been born again. And all I'm trying to do is warn you. Because if you don't step up and warn these people, many of these, I'm sure there's a ton of people running through your mind right now that have... Characteristics of this, then they just march off into death and eternity, not being saved. And it's not my words, and and you can try and twist it and play with it any way you want. But God, as you go on, He says, Thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so this list goes on. I mean, right up there with being a homosexual is the person who's a thief, someone who steals. And, you know, I've had people deal with their children who are thieves and and others that are, are thieves, people who steal. And they just, it's what they do. They just continue to steal, take from other people. God says, you got that problem, you're not going to heaven. Someone that is covetous. Now, this is interesting because covetousness is something that often is often hidden, but it comes out maybe in the way you cut on people or the way you... Um, the, 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 the way you work and live your whole life because you covet, you want something so much that it impacts other parts of your life and maybe it comes out in your anger an angry person could be really covetous. Not every angry person is a due to covetousness. it could be due to pride. But covetousness would drive to anger. And I love the fact that God puts that in there. And, and as you can see, as we sometimes might be accused of, oh, Christians are all against homosexuals. We're against thieves. We're against covetous people. We're, and it's not we're against them. We're just warning that God is saying these types of practices are practices that are indicative of people whose lives have never been changed. And people whose lives have never been changed are the people who cause lawsuits because they're defrauding and taking advantage of people. So he goes on and he says, he says, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. So you look at drunk people and there are people who, get, who take alcohol in and they get drunk. And my goodness, my wife tells me, this is a person that they're, they're known as a drunk. Well, somebody needs to step up and tell somebody who's known as a drunk, this is the passage, because it's not just about, I get it, it's not just about lawsuits, but if you're someone that is regularly getting drunk, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. You're not going in. Sorry, that's the game. My hope, and my desire is that something like this scares the wits out of you. And someone said, don't you dare scare people into hell. I'm going to tell you, Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about love. He wants people to understand hell is real. And people, you are not going into the kingdom of God if you are drunk. Your friends who are drunks are not going in. People who are revilers, revilers are partiers, you know, people who just like the party. They're in the party scene. Well, guess what? Revilers aren't going in. Swindlers, people who are con men, people always working to take advantage of other people, you know, those are people that aren't going in. None of these people were, are going in. And verse 11, such were some of you. Like, what do you mean such? Well, there are other sins. I wish God would put, you know, what if He put an exhaustive list? He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Basically, you become changed. And so he's expecting us not to practice this. Believers, Every one of these sins, I'm sure someone here could come to me and say, Mike, I've practiced this even after becoming a believer, but I'm not known for it. And I'd say, absolutely, you repent, we should go on. But the reality of it is, is that believers are not practicing these things. We're not known for these things because we're different and we're not the type of people that cause lawsuits. Now, I'll stop here. Next week, we'll have communion. We're gonna gonna wrap this all up And we'll take this through and I just like a warning, you know, challenge yourself because you're gonna take communion. I want you to be thinking about how you have called upon God to change you so that you're not practicing these and other sins, let alone be people who take advantage of people in lawsuits. The only way, this is what I told the men yesterday. When when I did this conference, I said, you know, we're gonna talk about what it means to be a man of God and what it means to be a changed person. But the reality of it is, is when we go through this list, just like we go through all of this, if you're not seeing a changed list, if you're not seeing yourself be a man of God, if you're not seeing yourself with changed behavior, it isn't just sometimes clean up your act. It might be that you need to become the faith. You might need to really come to the place where you say to yourself, man, I don't really think I'm born again. And, And what I would do is call out to God and say, God, change me take over my life. I recognize I'm a sinner. I know I need to change. I need to be a different type of person, let alone a person that doesn't call lawsuits. I need to be a person that isn't practicing any of these sexual sins, any of these sins that take advantage of other people. I don't want to be that way. I come to the place where I realize Jesus is Lord. He's the God-man who died to pay the penalty for my sins. I need to get forgiveness for my guilt and my crimes, my crime against God, and if I don't get that, I realize I'm not going into his kingdom. and I need you, God, to forgive me. Please do that now. Let's pray. Father, how I pray, how I pray that everybody here could say, I'm a changed person, not because I've earned it, but because you've actually come in and you've changed me from the inside. You're the new homeowner in my life and you're working to clean up every room, and you're working to clean up the rooms and the inside so that my practices are different. Oh God, how I pray that everyone here can say that. And they can say, I realize not everything is perfect in my life, but God, I'm so thankful for the changes. I know that I'm truly born again. But God, if there's people here that have said, wow, that list is too descriptive of me, That list is too descriptive of the things that I do on a regular basis. And if anybody really here in this congregation knew how I lived, it would be evident to them, like it is to me, that I'm not truly a child of God. Oh, God, I pray that that would cause fear in anyone here, that that would cause them to want to say, I need help. But, God, I can't help them in their heart. I can't become the new resident homeowner. You can. May Christ be called upon by that individual right now. May they turn from their sin and believe and say, God, I know that you, can for, you will forgive me. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God God the Father raised them from the dead, they'll be saved. God, please save them now. I pray that and that they can begin a life of living differently. But then there is the reality too, God, of us as a church recognizing that so many names flew through our minds of people that are practicing these sins. And in the day and age in which we live, in a day and age in which so many Christians are not being driven by the Bible, I'm asking for compassion amongst our people that in love and grace they will go out and begin to warn people because the days are running short. The days are running short and, and people are dropping dead left and right So many of us have said we've dealt with somebody's unexpected death and we don't know what's around the corner. And some of these people could be leaving this earth, like some have, and they're sealed for all eternity. And if the majority of churches today, Father, are not telling people the truth, may we take it upon ourselves. May we be people who are responsible. Like Ezekiel, be the faithful watchman. I'm asking that, God, because not because we want to be self-righteous prudes, but because we humbly want to love people and warn them before the flames come. As Jude says, snatch them from the fire. How I ask God for a congregation that loves people, cares for people, and has a willingness to step up and say something to people before it's too late. Help us, God, because it's scary at times. It really, really is scary. It is something that sometimes we feel like we're going to lose a friend. We're going to be intimidated by them. But God, help these people Help me to understand we don't lose them just as friends. We lose them for eternity because a person that dies sealed in their sin is sealed for eternity, and there is no purgatory. There is no second chance. May that be indelibly oppressed upon us. Help, help us, God, and especially now as we go into these two weeks, we have a great outreach coming. Help us to invite our friends, our family members. Help us to have an opportunity to see people come to absolute, hear a message where the gospel would be presented and that they would have their eyes opened. Oh, Father, may we be a congregation that recognizes the genius of how you put Scripture in place and that these verses in 9-11 are all part and parcel so that we are not people who take advantage of one another in practices that cause lawsuits because that's where this started. And You're just an amazing God the way you can bring so much together. We praise you. We thank you for our changed lives. In Christ's name, amen.